Do you know that in the modern world there still exists a country that did not even track or classify rape as a crime until a few short years ago? Do you know that that country was the United States of America? In a landmark 1977 case when the U.S. justice system decided to stop executing rapists, the law literature documenting this decision clarifies rape as the rape of, quote, an adult woman. There's no mention of men getting raped. In fact, up until 2013, the FBI defined rape as, quote, the carnal knowledge of a female, forcibly and against her will. In other words, for as long as the United States has had countrywide statistics on reported rape, men have been excluded from those numbers. Yeah, but really, how often do men get raped? Most people know about the rape of men in prison. Did you know that more men get raped in prison than women get raped outside of prison? Ah, but that is males victimizing other males. Let's go one step further. If you had to guess, how many men do you think get raped by women every year? By the way, if the first thing that comes to your mind is some joke about how men should welcome being raped by women, you are really part of the problem. Recently, the Center for Disease Control found that over a 12-month period, 1,270,000 females were raped and 1,267,000 males were made to penetrate. Approximately 1 in 21 men were made to penetrate another person during their lifetime and about 80% of them reported a female perpetrator. A 2010 analysis of Bureau of Justice Statistics data found that 46% of male rape and sexual assault victims reported a female perpetrator. A Bureau of Justice Statistics report on sexual victimization in juvenile facilities states, quote, approximately 95% of all youth reporting staff sexual misconduct said they had been victimized by a female facility staff. Did you know that women are part of the cycle of sexual violence? Between 60 and 80% of rapists, sex offenders, and sexually aggressive men were sexually abused by a woman in their childhood. So to a large degree, healing the plague of sexual violence is not about teaching men not to rape, but rather teaching adult women not to rape little boys. Do we live in a rape culture? Well, in a recent random sample of over 180,000 people, how many reported being raped? Only 27. And 10 more were victims of attempted rape. So, imagine a town with 180,000 people, 27 from Iceland. Would you describe that town as being dominated by Icelandic culture? Only if you couldn't count. In the 2008 to 2013 period, after surveying nearly 1.1 million people, the National Crime Victimization Survey counted only 118 reports of rape and 60 reports of attempted rape. One in four? One in five? I don't think so. Now, of course, naturally, made to penetrate and envelopment are missing from these surveys because apparently the rape of males does not exist. Now, 
Ask yourself, what is worse, being raped once or spending 10 years in jail? Quite possibly being raped repeatedly. Is a false accusation of rape worse than rape itself? Back in 1993, Newsweek reported, a third of DNA scans now routinely done in new rape investigations are non-matches. In other words, DNA samples from hair, semen, or blood found on the victim didn't match the DNA of the suspect. It's impossible to establish how often the women lied. Between 1978 and 1987, researchers investigated rape reports in a small metropolitan area with a population of about 70,000 people. Over the course of nine years, they found that in 41% of rape cases, the complainant admitted that no rape had occurred, and the accusation was false. The researchers followed up this study with an examination of two large Midwestern state universities and found that 50% of rape allegations were false. In the 1980s, researchers in the U.S. Air Force Special Studies Division examined 1,218 reports of rape that were made on an Air Force base or Air Force bases throughout the world in the 1980-1984 period. Ultimately, they found that 45% of rape allegations were false. Since 1988, no new studies on the subject have been conducted. However, let's look at some recent allegations. The University of Virginia chapter of Phi Alpha Psi announced that it will file a lawsuit against Rolling Stone for its December article, A Rape on Campus, which falsely accused members of the fraternity of participating in a brutal gang rape of a freshman girl. At Columbia University, there's a mattress girl who carries a mattress around in order to protest the inaction she claims on the part of the university dealing with an alleged rapist. The alleged rapist of Columbia University's mattress girl finally released her alluring texts to him, and now she pretty much looks like a desperate spurned lover, not a rape victim. For instance, two days after the alleged rape, the man messaged the woman on Facebook to say, small shindig in our room tonight, bring cool freshmen. Her response, LOL, yes. Also, I feel like we need to have some real time where we can talk about life and things because we still haven't really had a Paul Emma chill sesh since summer. Later on her birthday, he sent her his best wishes. She responded the next morning with, I love you, Paul. Where are you? In Lena Dunham's book, Not That Kind of Girl, she claimed that a man named Barry raped her after a party when she was attending Oberlin College nearly a decade ago. The man fitting the description denied the claim, saying he had never even met Dunham during their time at the Ohio Liberal Arts College. Dunham has now clarified that, quote, Barry was just a pseudonym. She designed to protect the identity of her attacker. The Duke Lacrosse case was a 2006 criminal case resulting from what proved to be a false accusation of rape made against three members of the men's lacrosse team at Duke University in Durham, North Carolina. The fallout from the case's resolution led to public discussions of reverse racism, amongst other things, and the resignation and disbarment of lead prosecutor Michael Nifong. Tawana Brawley, an African-American woman who gained notoriety in 1987-88 for falsely accusing six white men of having raped her. The charges received widespread national attention because of her age, 15. The persons accused, including police officers and a prosecuting attorney, and the shocking state in which Brawley was found after the alleged rape in a trash bag with racial slurs written on her body and covered in feces. 
Brawley's accusations were given widespread media attention in part from the involvement of her advisors, including the Reverend Al Sharpton. After eight months and 1.3 million taxpayer dollars, the, quote, attack was exposed as a complete fraud. The girl had made up the gang rape story to avoid explaining why she hadn't come home for four nights straight. Apparently her stepfather was a tad hot-tempered. Ray McDonald, an NF player, was accused of rape in December, and the 49ers cut him immediately after news broke that police were investigating. But McDonald has still not been charged, and now he plans to sue his accuser, saying she made a false claim and that it has put his football career in jeopardy. These allegations are, of course, horrifyingly destructive towards individual men, but women in general are also victims because real rape victims can be more hesitant to come forward. So why, 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 why is this happening? Well, first of all, victimization pays, and female victimization pays the most handsomely. Men are drawn to protect women due to the high availability of sperm and the low availability of eggs. So a movement that supposedly hates patriarchy relies on political white knighting to get money and power from mostly male politicians. Hmm. Secondly, the breakup of the traditional family has vastly accelerated the concentration of government power and control over the general population. Single women, and in particular single mothers, in general vote for Democrats, since Democrats often promise to provide benefits that otherwise would have been provided by a stable and loving husband. Children are expensive, and raising them well is extremely time-consuming. I say this as a stay-at-home father, and you either get money from your spouse or you have to go get it from the government. Thus, those on the left have a particular desire to set men and women against each other to further undermine and destroy the family in order to create a steady and reliable voting block for increasingly socialist policies of income redistribution. The media is overwhelmingly leftist. Over 90% of political correspondents in Washington voted Democrat in the last election, and so has a great incentive to promote rape culture narratives which make women fearful and distrustful of men. Without hateful propaganda, men and women are wonderfully compatible. We need to to find our way back to a positive regard for each other. We need to fight our way through this poisonous fog of man-hating and women-excusing, because no civilization has ever survived an escalating war of the sexes. In the Decline and Fall of the Roman Empire, historian Edward Gibbons described the five major causes that destroyed Roman civilization. First, the breakdown of the family. Second, increased taxation. Third, an insatiable craving for pleasure. Fourth, an unsustainable buildup of armaments. Fifth, the decay of religious values. When Seneca, a famous Roman, warned that Rome would fall, he was considered mad! He described the breakdown of the family as a foundational reason for the coming end of Rome. They divorce in order to remarry. They marry in order to divorce. What effects does this have? Judith Wallerstein reports that. Twelve to eighteen months after divorce, we found family after family still in crisis, their wounds wide open. Their symptoms were worse than they had been immediately after the divorce. After five years, 37% of the children had gone downhill. 
It would be hard to find any other group of children, except perhaps the victims of a natural disaster, who suffered such a rate of sudden, serious psychological problems. After 10 years, 41% of the children of divorce were worried, underachieving, self-depreciating, and sometimes angry young men and women. By ages 19 to 23, 66% of the female children of divorce found that they were more haunted and scarred by the divorce in their earlier lives than either they or the researchers had realized. 40% of the boys were found to be floundering in their lives. Divorce was the single most important cause of enduring pain and enemy in their lives. The young people told us again and again how much they needed a family structure, how much they wanted to be protected, and how much they yearned for clear guideline for moral behavior. An alarming number of teenagers felt abandoned physically and emotionally. And we see this breakdown in a variety of statistics. Rape and divorce rates track closely together. A 0.85 correlation. So rape culture describes a society which enables and supports rape by ignoring its victims. Half the rapes in America are committed against men, and it was not even tracked as a crime until 2013. Hopefully by now the conclusion should be fairly obvious. There is no rape epidemic, but rape culture exists, and men are its primary victims. The solution? Please, my friends, don't be used as political pawns. Don't give up love and tenderness and children and trust and hope and intimacy to feed the political ambitions of sociopathic monsters. Don't be turned against men. Don't be turned against women. Speak the truth and save not just yourself, that's civilization itself.